how's that hand doing? Good. How'd you cut it again? Oh, do I have a story for you? <laughs> so last week, my only like night off of the week, I'm going to make some dinner. I'm going to make some chili. I love some chili. The tin can of chili. And I go to open it and I pull the thing and the thing comes off. I don't know what it's called. It just popped right off. The little something. handle thing or a little, it, yeah, I know what yeah. you're talking about. little pool thing. The, the pulley. No, can't open it. Try and do the, try and open it that way. But I can't get the last bit of the lid to come off. So I try and pull it off with my hand. And I don't realize that my thumb is right on the edge of the lid. And it just <laughs> sliced that shit, man. And it was a really deep cut in my thumb. Uh. And like immediately I was like running it underwater. And then I like pressed on it for a while. And I looked at it and it was just bleeding, just uh. profusely bleeding. And I was like looking at it. And it's been a while since I've like bled that much. And I was like, am I going to be okay with this? I don't know. Am I going to pass out? Actually, hopefully I'm okay. <laughs> I don't know. We'll find out. But it was really deep. And I was like, that's bad. That's really bad. I called Dusty. She not work. And I'm like, what do I do? <laughs> and she's like, just put pressure on it. And if it's still bleeding in like 10, 20 minutes, you might have to go you know, get stitches or something. Yeah. So I did. And it was. Um, so I'll, I got my brother to drive me to A&E. Um, and then Dusty joined us. Um, but they had to wait outside because COVID. Um, and I would, I would, so I was just in the waiting room for like two hours, just like Jesus clutching, Christ. clutching my thumb <laughs> with a tea towel, being like, "Fuck, I really hope I don't get to tune because I don't want to get them put a fucking needle in my thumb." Like, oh, I really don't want, like, don't want that to be tonight, please. Um, but by the time they saw it, it was fine. I didn't need to tune. Like, they just had to glue it together. Fucking modern medicine, it's literally just glue. <laughs> They just, they taped my thumb. And when the guy, like, the guy was, like, touching it and making sure I still had feeling, and it's just bleeding nonstop while he's, like, poking at it. And then he put, like, three strips of tape to keep the skin together because my thumb looked like fucking Pac-Man. Uh, it was, like, it was God. so deep. And then he just literally, like, put stick, just yeah. glued the wound and then dressed it up. And he was like, yeah, just keep it dry and straight for a week. And then you can take the dressing off and... You know, just let it heal. And yeah, that's my thumb. Nice. And it's better now. It's just got sort of very light plaster on it. But for a while, it was like huge white fucking bandage. It looked like I'd been attacked by a cartoon mouth. Yeah. You know, it was like throbbing. It looked like a Tom <laughs> and Jerry cartoon. I mean, you look very positive at least. It's like. Yeah, I can't disagree with anyone. Person. Yeah. Yeah. Although you it's, could. All you have to do is just turn your hand upside down. There you go. The, yeah. Even even but, that. Like, but it's so white that it looks like it wants to be up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There you go. <laughs> How how's your knocking feel? Can you knock? Is it does it hurt at all to do that? Because you don't if you if it hurts, don't worry. I can I can I can knock for you because I can just go Phil, knock knock. Who's there? Mr. Baseball. Mr. Baseball who? Knock knock. <laughs> Who's there? Mr. Baseball. <laughs> Mr. Baseball who? Knock, knock. Who's there? Orange. Orange who? 
Aren't you glad we're not doing Mr. Baseball anymore? Oh, oh. Welcome oh. to the Pod Show Cinecast. Presented by the <laughs> Prince Charles Cinema and the Breadcrumbs Collector. This is your host, Jonathan Foster, and I am here with my broken thumb boy. I mean, it's not broken. It's sliced up thumb boy. Sliced up. My future director who can't fucking, you know, hold a camera right now because thumb's all <laughs> jacked up. Phil. How's it going, Phil? It's <laughs> good. It's good. Yeah, besides the hand, it's good. I mean... <laughs> I wish it I actually hope it happened closer to shooting because then I would have had a bandaged thumb because I'm in it I would have had a bandaged thumb and I would have added a joke where people keep asking oh what happened to your thumb and he's, <laughs> and, but we just never address never it never address it <laughs> all the story changes each yeah. time like the joker yeah yeah um, <laughs> but yeah it's okay it's not throbbing as much anymore that's good and you know I'm glad it was a story it was a story I got to tell on this podcast by the time this comes out hopefully it'll be completely off. Yeah. but hopefully it leaves the cool gnarly scar you know <laughs> yeah because you know scars are the souvenirs you never lose exactly goo goo dolls there's fucking stories there man there's fucking stories there and it's you know it's fitting that you uh, you know you bring it up Goo Goo Dolls. I mean, they were a band that it's was kind of a hit in the '90s. You know, yeah. like you know, I don't uh, want the world to see me. Yeah, it's a very. Because I don't think they'd understand. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want the world to see me. I don't think they understand. It's you know, it's fitting because this weekend at the PCC, Phil, we're celebrating the kick-ass year that was 1995. How old were you in 95? Two. Two. I was six. Oh, man. I was going into fucking, like, I was in kindergarten, man, 95. (laughs) It was great times. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, there was a slew of classics that are playing at the Prince Charles Cinema from the year 1995, including the likes of Tu Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar. Mm. Oh, such a classic. Classic movie. If you're a fan of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, you'll love to Wong Fu, thanks for everything, Julie Newmar. If you've not got Patrick Swayze, similar vibes. Patrick Swayze, you got fucking Wesley Snipes, you got John Lugazamo. It's amazing. Similar story where they're like three drag queens who stop into a, a small town and have to like change the way of the small minded people in their town uh, to show off their dragness. Um, <laughs> we also have Heat playing, we've got Ghost in the Shell, Casino. Before sunrise, hackers, hackers, planet man, (laughs) seven. What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? We got get shorty, tank girl, showgirls, and of course, kicking it all off on Friday, the 8th of April. Phil, do you know what the 8th of April is? Damn the man. It's Rex Manning Day. Oh, Rexy, you're so sexy. And what do we show on Rex Manning Day at the Prince Grease Charles Two? Grease Two. <laughs> <laughs> no, oh, the other Max. With the other guy. Yeah, shit. Sure. No. Yeah. Um, Empire Record. Open till midnight. <laughs> midnight. <laughs> what are we talking about on the podcast today in honor of Rex Manning? Empire Record. Of course. What else could it be? <laughs> Mana more. Say no more. No more. Mana more. I 
just let me introduce you to everybody. Uh, this is uh, Gina, Roy, Lucas, AJ. The staff of Empire Records had the coolest jobs on earth. Do you think the story is already written? Or do you think a bold and courageous act can change the course of history? Something happened to me last night in Atlantic City. Did you win anything? No, I did not. But Lucas blew it. Everyone knew it. You were to buy Empire? Well, that's a good thing, right? <laughs> the money is gone. Where's it going to? I think it's recirculating. We're turning us into a music town? I have to pay for what Mr. Brilliant here did. I'm the idiot. You're the screw-up, and we are all losers. Now, five friends have one day to decide what to do with the rest of their lives. AJ loves Corey, not the whole story. Today is the day that I'm going to tell Corey how I feel about her. That I, uh... Love her. Yeah. Do you think that it's possible for someone to be in love with someone else and not even know it? In this life, there are nothing but possibilities. That is so sweet. I think I'm going to barf. Corey wants Rex first time at sex. Hey, Rex, what happened to your hair? I will offer myself to Rex Manning. Ah! I wish I could be brave. You are brave. I have to bring Rex's lunch. I'm bringing Rex's lunch! Mark's raging mad. Best day he's had. Just like this! Help me, help me, help me. If I was in a band, they would not be doing this to me. Deb shaved her head and made out she was dead. I tried to kill myself with a lady back. Just your typical nutty teenager. You did have hair, right? I was tired of being invisible. Gina did it again, this time to a friend. You get smarter the shorter your skirt gets. I want to sing in a band, but I don't have the guts. So is this how your life's going to be now? You're just going to screw every husband? I'm starting! Want to know more? Check out the store. Empire Records open till midnight. This is Mark. Midnight! Empire Records. Featuring the music of Better Than Ezra, Gin Blossoms, Ape Hangers, Evan Dando, Toad the Wet Sprocket, and the Cranberries. What is wrong with you people? We follow one crazy day at the hip Delaware independent record store, Empire Records, and the tight-knit group of music-savvy employees who keep the place interesting. Discovering that the shop may be sold to a big-chain slacker employee, Lucas, played by Roy Cochran, heads to Atlantic City and bets a chunk of the store's money, hoping to get a big return. When this plan fails, it becomes more likely that Empire Records will be forced to sell to the Music Town chain. Music Town. And manager Joe, played by Anthony LaPaglia, LaPaglia? And the various other clerks must deal with the problem, amongst other issues, such as the overachiever Corey, played by Liv Tyler, and her pill problem. Her bestie, (laughs) Gina, played by Renee Zellweger. And her horror problem. (laughs) And her horror (laughs) problem. Uh, getting lost in Corey's success. And there's the artist, AJ, played by Johnny Whitworth, who is trying to find a way to admit his love for Corey. It's all about Corey, isn't it? Yeah. The chaotic it's Mark. Like me twelve up in here. <laughs> the chaotic Mark, played by Ethan Embry, trying to start a band. And the su- suicidal Deb, played by Robin Tooney, who just wants to be left alone. Mm. Oh, and all this happens to happen on... Rex Manning Day, say no more. more. It's the 1995 coming of age comedy drama directed by Alan Moyle and written by Carol 
I want to say Heineken because it looks like Heineken, but it's uh, Heikinen, I think, or Heikinen? Yeah, I'm Heikinen, Heikinen. Like, the, like the bad guy from Dune. Yeah. The Heikinen. No, it's either that <laughs> or Heikinen. Heineken. Uh, yeah. Hot takes off the gate, Phil. Empire Records. <sighs> My thumb smelled funny. <laughs> <laughs> That's Is that normal? Take. That's a hot take. I hope it's not I'm infected. Fucking gangrene under I could just feel it, you know what I mean? <laughs> like it just like I wave my hand past my face. I'm like, oh fuck, that's not good. Oh waft of um rot. <laughs> yeah. Oh my name's Fester. Me yeah. rot. <laughs> I hope I don't lose it. Then how will I know how I'm you know, how will I tell people how I'm feeling? Yeah. Um Damn shame. What are we talking about? Empire Record. <laughs> um Dead air. <laughs> uh, lovely. I just feel taking a bong hit. Ripping a bong hit. Woo. That's next week. Or the week after. I forget how to <laughs> That's really good. That's pretty good. Yeah, not bad. <laughs> um, Empire Record. Just teenage classic. I don't... It, this film is like quite important to me on many levels. So... I can't really say anything against it. I know some people like rag on this movie. It's like very naive and bedated, but like one, it was important to me growing up. Yeah. I thought it was the coolest fucking movie in the world. <laughs> one of my favorite soundtrack ever still banging soundtrack. Holy shit. Um, <laughs> like it's the best thing about the movie. And like, I just wanted to be one of the characters. I wanted to be Lucas. Lucas was the fucking coolest character in the world to me when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, how I act, how I dress, it, it, this is one of those movies that really like influenced me when I was a teenager. And now I'm making a movie that's very much inspired by Empire Records. Yeah. And now that that movie is more potent to me because I've worked a job like that. We even, like Rick Manning Day is like the room week. It's the same thing. It feels so palpable. Like I understand, you know, that struggle. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, it's a bit melodramatic with, the, with all the, the character storyline. That's something I don't have in my movie, but the idea of like just all a bunch of kids working at, you know, a cool place, cool indie place. Um, I mean, there's a version of the regular that was, you know, about, you know, us versus them, like the indie cinema versus the chain. I could have leaned into that a bit more. Um, and this, that's what this movie is more about. But like now you've, you having read it, you can probably see some of the relationship, especially with Joe. Like Joe was a very influential character yeah, yeah. On, on, you know, my script. So it's just, it meant so much to me and it meant different things to me at different points in my life. And having just rewatched it, it, I think it still holds up. I had a really good time watching yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. It's a cool hangout movie. It's a cool day in the life movie. All the characters are really fun and believable and weird and quirky and just everything from fucking like Warren is such a great running <laughs> yeah. joke. And yeah, just I love everyone in it and I love watching it. I love being in it. So yeah, I'm I'm glad it's been years since I've seen this movie. I'm always happy to see it on the schedule every year. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was glad on rewatch that it still held up and it renewed sort of all those feelings, you know, from then and like renewed the inspiration now for my next, you know, venture. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's that's my feeling on sort of going into Empire Reckons Bill all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> what about you? I mean, like very, very similar, man. Like I saw this film, God, like really young. I mean, it would have been around the time I guess it was out. Like I 
obviously didn't see it in cinema, I don't think. I mean, I would have been too young. But, I mean, I was very aware of it in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, I must have seen it on TV or somehow. And it's just one of those things that I watched so much growing up because it was always, like, on TV. And, like, mm-hmm. I watched it every time it was on. And, like, I just loved it. I loved all the characters, like you said. Like, wanted to be, like, one of these people it just looks so cool. Everything about it, working at a record store. Uh, mm. I love music I wanted, as well. So I wanted to like, work at a record store so badly, <laughs> yeah. dude. Yeah. Like, it reminds me of, like, going to the record store in my hometown. There was one called Waterloo Records, which was, like, the indie record store. Very small. Nothing, like, as cool looking as this one. But, like, it mm. was a cool place. And it was, like, it felt like you were cool if you went to that place. Like, that was mm-hmm. the vibe. Um and then, like, you know, that place ended up shutting down. And then there was, like, big, like, insane record store that I became fond of later in life. Uh, like, when I was a later in teenage years and stuff that's just, like, way different. Completely mm. different. Just run by some old kook who just has <laughs> 10 billion records. And it's one of these, like, if you know, you know, famous uh, places on the East Coast. Like, mm. Uh, but like, it's cool that that exists in my hometown and like going to record stores and stuff like was very much like a thing, a thing to do. And like this yeah. film just like is the epitome of it. Even going to like, you know, a chain record store, like in the mall or something. It's just like, yeah, like got, a virgin record store. Yeah. Back like just getting the feel, the feeling of going to those places reminds me of this film a lot. And it was just like such a big thing. And then just, I can get people maybe thinking this film is like cheesy or something or just stupid. Um, because like there are moments that are just like, it is just silly. It's silliness. It's 90 silliness, you know, like, silly, cause there's yeah. just like, I don't know, like a lot of the characters are like teenagers and stuff and just going through their like hormonal problems and stuff. And, mm. you know, and it's just like shit that a lot of teenagers go through. So it's relatable if you're a teenager, but if you're a bit older, it's sort of like, or whatever, like, you know, <laughs> yeah, um, these stupid kids. On. The things that are just like wacky about it that I love, I think it's just like things that only sort of existed in the '90s and stuff as well. Like like Guar, yeah, like Guar. <laughs> like you could have I a love weird scene bit. of just Guar. You can uh, like the ending is phenomenal. Oh, like just this. That's the a nice ending. It's the airhead ending it's as well. So cool, yeah. You know, it's so cool. I love like, it. And I always just like, man, I want to fucking like rock and roll on top of a fucking building. And like, just for no reason, people are just. Dude, if I had up. the money, <laughs> if I had the money, that's how the regulars would have ended. It would have it would, like, it would have been a concert on the reader graph to yeah. save the print job, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I've been great, man. But yeah, now now that uh, I've started to work at the Prince Charles Cinema, like I'll get more into like you know like you know Rex Manning Day. Having worked at the PCC, this film is like, of course, there's Clerks. Like, if anybody ever wanted to know like what it's like to work at the Prince Charles Cinema, if you if you don't know, there's like Clerks is very much our vibe. Of, For like, sure, man. You know, you obviously love the place, but it's a love-hate thing. And, like, you can get really dragged down by certain things. And it's just, like, the like this place would be fucking perfect if it wasn't for the customers. Like, that's, mm-hmm. like, the vibe sometimes, which I know that's bad to hear if you're a customer. But, like, you know, it's, like, it's not. If you're listening to this, we're not talking about you. Yeah, it's not meant with any sort of malice. And you, if you've worked customer service yourself, you should know. Um, but, yeah, then there's there's this film, man. This film is the... Like, until your film gets made, is the <laughs> most like the Prince Charles cinema, like, there is. There, Like, it's yeah. unbelievable. Like, reading your script and stuff, like, 
I think people, if they watch your your film when it comes out and thinking about it and they start thinking like, oh, this is riffing off of Empire Records, but like in, For sure. in some ways, like maybe, but at the same time, it's so genuinely like what it's like at the Prince Charles Cinema. So when you're watching Empire Records, like I... I just like was like, holy shit, this is the cinema. This is like insane. Yeah. It's it, like everything about it. The characters. The way they like, come in and out, the yeah. way that nobody works nobody. in this movie. Literally, <laughs> yeah. they don't do anything yeah. in this movie. There's like so much not working the, going on. The way they fight over uh the music. What, the Who music, gets to play the bit, music? Holy that would shit. be the most That's that would so be most uh, true to life yeah. bit. And they're like, Vito, I'm putting my Vito, and everybody yeah. gets that. They're like, come on, I just put this on. It's like, yeah, but too early for this shit. Yeah. And like, you know, people are always fighting over the fucking tablet in the corner. Yeah. Um, so but that's much, something. Man. But that's something cool about record stores, and that's not usually that's not a thing with cinema. Yeah, it yeah, isn't yeah, the yeah. Prince Charles could we control the playlist, and people always come up. They're like, "What is this? This is cool." <laughs> yeah. Where it's like even like a, you know even like a curtain or like a you know viewed an audience. Obviously, they have generic radio playing yeah. like radio friendly shit. But even like a curtain has like a pretty. It doesn't even fit their vibe, but they yeah. play a sort of generic playlist. But yeah, the PCC annoyed like run, you know, soundtracked by the staff. Yeah. And it's usually it's that's so, something you only get so in a record store. Because they literally, <laughs> you know, they'll have the fucking speaker behind them and they'll yeah. just put on whatever. And they clearly they put on, I bet they do the same thing where they put on stuff, specific record to get people out. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. like when we have a private hire that runs too long, that's when the heavy metal starts. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, fucking yeah. Norwegian black metal, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, yeah, that bit was very peaceful. But then there was like, there's like, there's so many moments at the Prince Charles Cinema, like when we'd be like putting stuff on as a gas, like just to fuck with people, like, you know, like fuck with staff members. If like, yeah. you know, because you spend so much time with these people um, and you're in the screens and you're cleaning and stuff and you're, you're just talking about dumb stuff. And mm. like, you know, particularly when I first started, like we, we, there would be like, it'd be like the room week, but like every weekend because of frozen. So it was like, oh, everybody yeah. would like all hands on deck. Everybody's in the screen cleaning at the same time, just to, so that they can get it ready for the next frozen screening. And mm. it's just like, it's insane. You go mad and like sometimes there'd be frozen music playing on like just because the soundtrack is playing as people come in so it's just already it's like playing torture. and just yeah. like fucking radioing like the projection it's like please turn that shit off like <laughs> put something else on or just turn it off and then you yeah. start having these conversations and then there'd be like you know we're talking about like you know community and like about five or six of us have like been like just going through community and just talking mm. about it and then, like, we just start talking about the stupid Troy and Abed song, like, da, 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 oh, the da, one they're trying da, to remember. So, like, we were we were always talking about that song, and then that became a song you could put on to just fuck with people, like on staff, <laughs> like who like are downstairs and they have no way to control the music and they can't escape it, and they're just like doing something. Like, you know, dealing with an order, like, you know, stock or whatever, or, yeah, or they're the alone bar. on the bar. And then just like you put on that song and just mess with them. It's like, oh, it's beautiful. Like we used to put on dumb things to mess with Peter, like just all sorts uh, of like We still do stuff. that. Like I do that like every Halloween. I put the mon- I put Monster Mesh on repeat. <laughs> and that's like song is yeah. like a minute long. So like in, in every and I see how long it takes before someone comes running up yeah. and like changes it. Yeah. Like just leaving the bar. Yeah. 
But it's like that sort of stuff just reminded me so much of the cinema. And it was just like, it was a blast to watch it again. I can't remember the last time I had seen it, but I've always loved this film. Um, I think it's just phenomenal step back into the 90s, which is like an important time for me. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe like I gel with Gen Xers or something. I don't know what it is, but you yeah, probably remember it better than I do. It's fun, man. Fun film. Um, Empire Records was uh, written by former Tower Records employee Carol Heineken. <laughs> I'm just gonna <laughs> want to keep calling her Heineken. Uh, Heineken. Carol Heineken. She actually Heineken. she actually worked at Tower Records. Yeah, she worked at a Tower Records. Uh, and her, her only other credit before she did this film was Peter Bogdanovich's uh, The Thing Called Love. Heikinen landed her job in her hometown of Phoenix during high school, and she transferred to the Tower Records in West Hollywood during college. And she merged her experiences together, and she wrote this script for this film, which was initially titled Empire. Sound familiar, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was a bidding war over the script between New Regency and Warner Brothers, and eventually New Regency won, but it was a subdivision of Warner Brothers, so Warner Brothers distributed the film, and Carol Heikinen was offered 300... <laughs> Heineken, please. I don't, I don't know how to say it. I'm just going to have to say Heineken. Uh, it was offered three... She was offered $325,000 up front for the script. Really? With an additional $200,000 if the film was made. And then... To make matters even more insane, she was to receive 1% of any soundtrack royalties and 5% of merchandise sales. That seems like a really good deal. Am I don't I know about merchandise per se. Like, yeah, but soundtrack? Know, but I imagine the soundtrack sold more soundtrack, than the actual movie. Yeah, the soundtrack was bigger than the film. Yeah, so, exactly. Could I always hear people reference the soundtrack? I don't yeah. think the movie actually did well, but the it soundtrack, but it did not. <laughs> Speaking of which, two days after Regency Enterprises uh, executive Michael Nathanson gave approval to proceed with the making of Empire Records, he was approached with the script for Clueless. He already had a teen movie in hand, so oh. he turned down the film and proceeded with production on Empire Records. Well, Clueless yeah. eventually raked in $57 million at the box office and Empire Records. Not so much. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. <laughs> You know how this goes. It's always at the end. Yeah. You have to work for it. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be funny if there was someone who like was just so desperate to know that they, they like to the end. Just like they either skip to the end or that like that's all they want to know and they just haven't realized they can just not listen to this and just Google it. They could Google it. Yeah. <laughs> The original story of Empire Records was supposed to cover two days, but it was severely cut down in post-production with 40 minutes of footage cut out. Some of these extra scenes were restored in the Empire Records Remix special fan edition DVD release, but unfortunately that version tampered with the original version by cutting a few of the popular lines of the film. So yeah, it's kind of shitty. I think they did re-release. I've never seen that version. Yeah, I've not not seen it either. I mean, I don't know what what all is actually different. Um, Like, you know, what all... The the differences are. changed. But like, they did restore the original version with a Blu-ray release a few years later. And they just had a bunch of extras from the f- the fan edition. So okay, I don't okay. know. I, it, yeah. it I mean, a, that's, that's a, interesting, but I think the one day thing works much yeah, better yeah. in yeah, a film like that. I mean, it's like one of those things at the cinema, though, as well. It's like uh, when we put 
Empire Records on sale. If we don't specify that it's the original version, then like people do it. Which like, version is this it? shit? Yeah. yeah, which version is it? It's like so, Godfather yeah. 3. <laughs> Dakota? Dakota or 3? Because I ain't coming if it's 3. I ain't coming 3 suck. <laughs> At least three characters were cut from the film too. So we have Warren's sister. She was cut from the film. I don't know what she would have been doing. Maybe Maybe she would have come pick them up or yeah, something. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, um, I, I have no idea, but she didn't. Did he get arrested twice in the movie? <laughs> yeah. And immediately comes day. back, like yeah. After his, like that's some. That's what I mean by like wacky stuff. He's like pulls a gun, even if it's got blanks in it, but he's still like his back. Like that's one of my <laughs> favorite bits. when he comes back with the gun, yeah. And they're like, Warren, calm down, and he's like, Stop calling me Warren. My name is fucking Warren. Yeah, well, that's the thing. What is his name? He told him his name was Warren. Warren I think he's like Warren Beatty, but like, what is his name? (laughs) You never know. Yeah, it's a bit much him coming back the third time. Because I thought the the way they left it was like, can you keep my name tag for when I get back? And, you know, it's like, I'm probably going to go to juvie for a while. Yeah. But but I'll have, you know, I have, but I have, you know, a purpose to to come out. Yeah. But literally an hour, like, no, an hour, a few minutes later, he's in the uh, party scene. Yeah. It makes no sense. (laughs) I was like, why did he like run away? Just one more shot of him, like sneaking out of the cup car or something like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I wonder if they like had that set up with the cop saying like, you know, you know, it's not, you know, it's, it's not that big of a deal with blanks, you know, he'll, he'll yeah, be out he's soon. a minor. He's a minor. So I wonder if they were just like talking about it in the editing room and they're just like, eh, whatever. <laughs> Fuck it. <laughs> Doesn't make sense, but whatever. Uh, there's a girl that's seen in some pro- promotional shots of the film. I'm sure if you've ever looked up photos of uh, Empire Records, there's some photos of like AJ and uh, Corey and um, Burko sitting on a couch. And then mm. there's this random girl that you never see in the film that has like knee pads on and stuff like, okay. So she apparently is in some background scenes. Like maybe you can spot her. Mm. Her name was supposed to be Lily and she was caught from the film as well. So, I mean, there's like apparently major characters that like had roles and they were just cut out. I mean, that feels like that with some of the people in the film. And that's something I actually like about it is that you don't get, like people just come and go. Yeah. People like, can people, that happen? Like you just work with people and not everyone is integral to the plot. Like the yeah. guy who plays guitar and the, the pizza guy who brings the yeah, yeah. like, yeah, yeah. do they work there? I don't know what they do. They just sort of show <laughs> up and there. then they're in the background yeah. and then they don't, you know, they're big in one scene, but that's kind of it. And it, yeah. again, I like that. That feels very true to life, very natural. Like Some not everybody just aren't there. that important. Yeah. Some people just, there because that's how it works yeah they're important but they're not important to like the main people yeah but like he's a main character in his other in his like story but that's not his story you know yeah um this is a crazy one so apparently toby Maguire was supposed to be in the movie no a two a dj no he was supposed to play a character named andre and everything that he shot was cut from the movie uh, rumor has it that Tobey Maguire showed up, felt aimless, may or may not have consumed a psychotropic drug, and somehow ended up in the basement of director Alan Moyle's beach house because they were so basically Alan Moyle. Oh, had this a, is real life. Yeah, this is real. Like what the character? Yeah, just. no. Um, Alan Moyle had all the so they filmed this in um, in North Carolina, Wilmington, and they uh, they all had beach houses. And he wanted them all like basically living next to each other. And they were like basically just so they can get along and 
you know, become friends and gel and just kind of create this camaraderie for the film. Mm. And he apparently just showed up at, in Alan Moyle's beach house, just eating a giant bowl of cereal in the basement. And then like, like Moyle found him and he was just like, dude, you need to go back to Hollywood and sort your shit out. Uh, if you go work on a script or something, you know, I'll make it for you when it's done, but it never happened. And then like eight years later, Toby was Spider-Man. <laughs> My mind is blown yeah. by what you just told me. What? <laughs> I've read it a different that way that like Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> I read Spider-Man it a different that? way that, um, that like he was having alcohol problems and he like, he he went to go get himself cleaned up like a rehab as well. So I don't know which is actually true, but that is the version that was going around the most that it was like, he was on something in this dude's basement and just like sent home. That's amazing. I mean, that totally, that's surprising, but like it totally like vibed with like who, Toby McGuire. Yeah, like definitely. someone who doesn't seem to give a shit about especially Hollywood. Early 90s. Hasn't acted in like 10 years. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, especially in the 90s. Like, like before, he was tied house role. Yeah, he was you know. big friends with like Leo and stuff, and he was a part of that young part of crowd. Crew. Yeah, Marky Mark and yeah. shit. Like yeah, I, yeah. I um I've probably talked about this on the podcast before, but my pal, like from back in my hometown, made this he used to he used to live in uh LA. He's like an older guy, and he lived in LA working for Paramount. And he was like a executive vice president of like marketing and stuff. And oh, sweet. he started making his own movies and stuff and producing things. And one of the things he produced was this film called Don's Plum that had uh, Leo and Tobey Maguire and like Jenny Lewis from Rilo Kiley and uh, one of the dudes from Entourage. I mean, it was like a bunch of young Hollywood people in it. And like, yeah, Leo and Toby, like the whole idea was this, this film was like unscripted. They had like you know, ways they knew they were going to go, but everything was sort of improvised as far as dialogue. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And sure, some sure. of the stuff they said, like was just stuff that they later regretted. So that, like, apparently when they saw it and at the premiere or whatever, they loved it. But then some, one of them got into the, the other's ear between Leo and Toby and decided to have the film pulled in oh, America and Canada. Um, so it's never been released in America and Canada, even to this day. Um, but you can get it like in Mexico or maybe Europe and shit. But like, so I've seen like a copy of it from my pal who had a Mexican DVD, but it's just bizarre. And it's like that really early in their bizarre. career before Titanic and all that shit. You know, it would have like, you know, been a potential like big film if it could get mm. released. It's like, hey, this is early. But it was just like because it's a couple of dumb things they said that they were embarrassed about or something. Like offensive things? Well, like, like I think like, like, uh, cause that didn't, that doesn't, that didn't stop next week's film, you know? Yeah. It, it got edited. <laughs> it got edited out of the film as well. I think there was a line where like Toby had joked around about like how he like, you know, th- stuck his thumb up his ass while he masturbated or something. And he was like embarrassed by it or something, but it was like, that's that didn't really even make funny. The film. Yeah, yeah. It was like, that, yeah, I, that's strange. But you know, it's early nineties like, as well. So it's like, these guys don't want to, Oh, I can't be gay. Like, yeah. It's like, I mean, it feels like, that would, it sounds like one of those movies that would have been re-released after they had both gotten big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like they would have repackaged yeah. it, like the and, the lost movie, man. Yeah, the it lost could movie. still be released. That'd be that amazing. feels like a if it's good. I don't know. Um, that feels like a PCC like cult. In the <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it it was a pretty fun film. I remember. 
like you know it's just a weird little movie like it's a well, lot of just watch like spider-man to get four or five that. young people just sitting around a coffee like shop movie. sort of thing just talking shit you know that's so. my kind of movie that's my <laughs> kind of movie dude yeah but i mean you know whatever um toby yeah it's weird like i can imagine him that happening because of just that weird time I could imagine yeah. that happening. I can't imagine him in this movie. I'm sure yeah, it would have been fine. Been but he, weird, got, yeah. he, had, he had a weird presence. Yeah. It works sometimes yeah. and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into the cast who are actually in the film. We have Anthony LaPaglia as uh, Joe Reeves. Joe. Um, <laughs> Anthony LaPaglia is like that guy. He's a bit of like a who's that guy. You know, like, you know what I mean? Like he, he's yeah, a guy yeah. that you've seen in a bunch of stuff. Like, you know, like, so I married an axe murderer and stuff. But you can't like always quite place him what you know him from and stuff. You know, it's just yeah, like yeah. he reminds me of like Elias Coteus or whatever. But like not Katie nearly Jones. as good. But, you sure, know, sure. but like he's okay, face. you know. Yeah, he's but great in this. He's good in this. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. He's good in So I Married an Axe Murderer. But I mean, like, you know, it's like he's been in tons of stuff, but he's just definitely one of those like weird dudes. Like, Floating around the fringes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, he's uh, he's mainly annoyed by Roy Cochran as Lucas. Just, just this dude is like it's one of my favorite performances. It's like, so bizarre because he starts like he's such a dickhead at the beginning. Oh, and it's yeah. just like you son of a bitch, you're such a dumbass dickhead. But he's not. He but then he just like he merges into like a fucking guru. <laughs> yeah, he becomes like this like really like chilled out monk type character who's like yeah. it it good, you know, at feeling people reading the room and knowing what they need. And yeah. by the end he would he'd write, he does inadvertently kind of save the day. But yeah. I love that sort of character it's like classic american comedy hero yeah just smartest guy in the room i don't th- I don't, th- I don't think he is i think he does genuinely fuck up at the beginning and then things just happen to work out that way yeah. but he's great it's just one of my i wish i saw that dude more every time he popped up in something i'm like that's lucas from empire record yeah like he was yeah in, he was in argo those... and stuff yeah but i'll just i always get to see him he's yeah so good in this. obviously he was in he was like the super super stoner dude in uh days and confused, days confused yeah. but like yeah he just you know it's like there's um it's not like really you know that much like stuff you would see him in over the years it's like one of those people that like he'd just be in some bits and pieces but you know it's like yeah i mean that's the majority of the cast including yeah. like i mean we'll get to them but like you know Renee Noweger and Liv Tyler, apart yeah. from those two, really. Um, I mean, I recognize everyone mm-hmm. from things, from small bits and parts throughout the year. But yeah, and yeah, that, that kind of, people, that kind of sure. helps this movie because you forever see them at the yeah, employees working at Empire Records. It's like they're still there now. Um, the next person I want to bring up is Ethan Embry as Mark. Uh, so Mark, he, Mark, yeah. <laughs> Mark, like, Ethan Embry in general is like mm. one of my favorite, I feel like underrated like dudes from I mean, the 90s. Obviously, we that the obvious that thing you do, TV player. Do. Yeah, TV um, player. Uh I love I I'm I unashamedly love uh a Vegas vacation. Like I just think it's fun. <laughs> He's super fun as Russ Griswold. Uh I love Can't Hardly Wait. I talk about that all the fucking time. You He's do? great. 
He's great. He's great as a lead. Like he shows that you can, he could lead a fucking teen comedy, which is great. He's, I mean, but he's just in a lot of stuff like Grace and Frankie. He's been in recently and stuff. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, it's just good to see him still popping up and things here and there. But like, you know, he's great in this film. So funny, man. Like just such a chaotic character, you know, like, he's the guy. Mark is a lot of people at the Prince Charles cinema. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm thinking of a few specifics, but like he's very just sort of wild and crazy and yeah. unedible all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, apparently, the scene, though, speaking of edibles, where he hallucinates that he's at a Guar concert. Um, mm wasn't originally in the script apparently while they were filming one of the other actors had spotted a guar show like like a flyer for a guar show and he told ethan Embry about it and director alan moyle hadn't heard of guar but he let Embry concoct a scenario and uh <laughs> robin tooney said that like Embry was like man guar is coming to town and i think mark should have a fantasy where he's playing with guar and then they did it. <laughs> and Alan was like, you totally. know, let's take a camera. Let's go to the Guar concert. Ethan Embry said we did it in a couple of takes and the audience was just standing there like, what's going on? <laughs> and then they just continued their show. <laughs> I love that bit and I forgot it was like a hallucination. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember you know, Guar being I, I, there, but for, for some reason I was like, does Guar just show at there. the end? Like, you know, that's, they, why I, that's yeah, but how I was remembering it. Yeah. yeah. Guar is from Virginia, from Richmond, Virginia. So of course, I'm that from sense. my home state. Uh, and when I was like 14 and I got into the punk rock scene, that's when I was really into Like, I remember Guar from this film, but I don't think I really put two and two together. Like, I was too kind of young when I was like obsessively watching this film in the 90s and early 2000s. But like when I met all my pals and stuff and got into the punk scene, um, they introduced me to Guar uh, and we we like would go to guar shows and it'd be like it'd be insane and it'd be like this like it would just be like random people being brought up on stage and they would murder them in a life they would murder them they would eat them alive they would chop their heads off and then they will like ejaculate blue semen all over the crowd or blood (laughs) so it was like insane it was in good taste yeah in good taste yeah (laughs) Yeah, i mean come on because it's big fucking alien enormous it's hum- funny humongous penises that are just so silly like it's not offensive at all it's hilarious <laughs> like if you're not laughing yeah, it just it, it come right all yeah. the way around to just being funny again yeah if you don't if you don't think like a, a group of like stupid metalheads from virginia who claim that they're like aliens from outer space who come to enslave the human race and are just chopping their heads off and like have these big fucking insane costumes and rigs to squirt blood and blue semen everywhere is funny i don't know what the hell's wrong with you i mean it's sad like you couldn't do that sequence now not not i mean like you couldn't do it i mean like who's that band now yeah yeah there's, seriously. No, there's no space for that yeah. anymore yeah i mean guar is still going on but like they're not in like dave brocky the lead guy odorous odorous who uh you know the singer guar the main mm-hmm. character like is dead uh mm-hmm. they have a new singer it's like a, a woman which is great like and it's still cool but at the same time there's not like a band like guar anymore that's just like fucking like big like or even like fringy big like in the weird rock and roll scene you know like yeah who would do that now <laughs> tell us at the pcc podcast who, who you got who would who do you want to see like in 
uh, Phil's movie, um, <laughs> one of the characters hallucinate that they're a part of, you know, uh, you know, having a scene of, and we'll film it. No, we won't. Yeah. We won't. No, we won't. We, we don't do have act, we don't have the acceptability yeah. time. I don't know. PTA. Time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ethan Embry apparently had a big crush on Liv Tyler. Maxwell Caulfield. <laughs> Maxwell Caulfield. Liv Tyler as Corey Mason. Uh, and apparently it made it worse. They went on to do that thing you do together uh, right after he, this. And, and he couldn't yeah, escape. Just like, but apparently everybody had a crush on her or was drawn to her. I mean, this is. That's literally the plot of the film. Yeah, it's the plot of the film. Liv Tyler. I mean, this is like, this was her like coming out party. You know, like she'd only done like what, like a couple of films before, but it was like she'd been in the like Aerosmith music video and it was like Steven Tyler's daughter and it was just this big thing and it was like all like, you know. She was, a, I remember her in the 90s. It was crazy. But even Shoot Armageddon huge. was huge. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. And her in Armageddon was huge. Like, mm. it was a big deal. Was, you know, it's, she's really, I feel like she's fallen off now. I guess that's what happens with women in age because Hollywood's fucking stupid. But yeah, yeah I, mean, I mean, the last thing so I was popular back in the day. The last thing I think I saw her in was like Hulk. Yeah. Journey Jer- <laughs> yeah. Girl. Like, you yeah, know, she's yeah. still in a bunch of shit and in the like 2000 but yeah yeah it's a shame because she's no. great and you can see why she was a big deal in the 90s yeah um johnny whitworth is aj he fucking was her boy um <laughs> gloria tear i feel like they i, I imagine that they thought he was gonna hair. be like a breakout like this Heart guy rub. you know you could feel it, it. you can feel happened. the push <laughs> they make him like the sensitive artist yeah i'm surprised like i always say about james franco but like i thought about it this time as well i'm like this dude could have played like Jeff Buckley if they ever made a Jeff Buckley movie. Yeah, like, dude. Looked, yeah, yeah. Really looked the he part, does, yeah. and he's already doing this sort of tortured thing. Um, but yeah, you know, right? And this. Yeah, I, I mean, that's the, the thing. The look he looks way better than he acts. I think. Yeah. <laughs> always, always, like it's weird. Sometimes I like it's been a while since I'd seen it, but like when I when you really look at him, it's like, okay, he's maybe not as cool as like he came off when I was younger and he, he's like kind of, no, now he's one of the weakest cool. actors probably mm. as well, but it's, I do, it's I do like, I like, I do him, like, though. I like the, penny. I like the character. I like the penny. What would you say? You like, I like what? the penny, the pennies. Oh, like where yeah. he's like fucking sticking them. I don't have to explain my quarters on the ground. <laughs> I really like that. Who glued all these quarters to the ground? <laughs> <laughs> no i mean he's really funny and he has one of the best like retorts because i mean I, like i fucking just talk about warren brendan Saxon the third is warren brilliant when warren says like i'll be back and you'll be sorry <laughs> and then sorry. like yeah yeah like fucking johnny whitworth just like nails that like you'll be sorry <laughs> so funny yeah yeah just Nailed them down, cut so them down to five. But sweet, and he makes them the name tag. Yeah, I like that. I, I mean, I love Brendan Saxon the third. Like he was in so many things back in the day. Like Welcome to the Dollhouse, Boys Don't Cry, Session Nine, Black Hawk Down. Like so many. Oh cool man, films. I haven't seen. I don't remember him in any of those. Like yeah. Boys Don't Cry, I've seen. Yeah, just of those bunch, but I don't remember him in that. You don't remember him? He's. Uh, I don't. I haven't connected. Yeah, he's the friend of um of uh, what's his face? Uh, Peter Sarsgaard. Um, he's just yeah, like his dopey little friend. He's just like he plays that character like in a lot of films. He's just like a really harsh character where he's mm-hmm. kind of just scary. Like you know, one of those because he's he's good at it. Like a mm-hmm. scary, just gross, fucking like ugh, sort of guy. 
Um, he he plays it really well in Welcome to the Dollhouse. I feel like Caroline really liked Welcome to the Dollhouse. I don't know if you've seen it. It's really silly. I've never, I've it's never fun, seen though. it. Never seen yeah. it. No. I think he was so he like had a a few of these like a string of films and stuff like they were like you know you know the kind of like culty sort of films and stuff. And then he was in Black Hawk Down, and I think he apparently like uh, had it was like a nice little role, and it just seemed like he was on the up and up. And then apparently he like made some comment about how the his thumb, <laughs> thumb off his butt, like to, no. yeah, off his butt. And then they were like, "Oh, pull it! <laughs> You're out of here!" A lot of um, thumbs in today's yeah, episode. It's a am thumb, I right? thumb episode? Thumb uh, <laughs> no, but apparently he said something about how Black Hawk Down's script wasn't the same. Like the script he read wasn't the same as how the film came out, and they like mm. changed a lot. And he was kind of negative towards it. And oh, okay. they, he claims that, like, since then, he said that he was sort of blacklisted from Hollywood. Oh, so he okay. ended up being in, like, a bunch of indie shit after that, which is weird. I don't know. I feel like I've started seeing him pop up in things recently, though. Like, you... Did the moratorium on the, yeah. the thing. Eventually, people fucking forgive and forget. <laughs> like, especially if it's like that, where, like, they went hard to work with. They just had an opinion. Yeah. You know? Like, they had a, <laughs> God forbid, an actor, like, had a fucking personality and, like, or tried to make their movie better. Yeah, yeah. And it's just difficult to work with. Uh, Renee Zellweger's Gina. Bridget Jones. Bridget Jones. <laughs> She okay. So, what's the name of the girl from uh, um, Chase and Amy? Because like back then, oh, um, Joey Lauren, Joey Adams. Lauren Adams and Renee Zellweger back then were like look. the same person to me in the early nineties. Yeah, and they played the same character. Yeah, Jesus Christ. <laughs> they have the kind of very distinct voice and distinct look. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Funny, yeah. They're sort of interchangeable yeah. at this it's point, weird. but like how their career progressed, you know, very much. To change that obviously she was in Days and Confused as well just like mm-hmm. Roy Cochran and she was dating Roy Cochran at the time and they were in the 1994 film Love and uh, 45 together mm-hmm. and Cochran encouraged her to go out for the role of Gina and she got it so that's kind of nice. cool she's great Gina's she's a great a, character like she's a really great character she had that great bit where she like to do Rex Manning to fucking <laughs> to a, a girl like you yeah it's just so fucking thick yeah. <laughs> Right. so funny yeah i mean it's like it, it it's a, yeah it's that funny thing because it's just like everything that those scenes with her and Liv tyler having their like sort of falling out are like mm. hilarious because they're just so over the top like it's very so 90210 am i right yeah, yeah you know? it is yeah it feels like very dawson creek those yeah. moments and then truth in so there, melodramatic but it's, like, but it's like you two are clearly best friends yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> and yeah. you're just like throwing shit at each other for no yeah. reason yeah, I mean, like, Liv Tyler has such an epic meltdown. It's, like, it's amazing. I forgot that she was, like, a speed freak in there. Yeah, dude. yeah, I did, too. I, There's like I forgot that that was, like, a subplot, and I was yeah. like, that was probably not necessary. She could have she just been, like, an overachiever. Yeah, 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 definitely. There's, like, two or three little things that completely, like, blacked out my memory. Like, just, yeah. there was, like, other things that you would think you'd black out, and I completely remembered and stuff, but, yeah. Um, but one thing that I thought was funny was how they picked their music in this film. And I got to say, because Renee Zellweger as Gina was uh, the one who was in charge in this this day, on mm. this day. Um, Phil, snack time! I'm desperate for good times, although it seems hopeless. But if we have a snack time, our hope will grow up. Oh. 
Because, Phil, how they. How they decided on their music was via a popular snack, a God tier snack, which actually um, appears in your film, was uh, MMs. I I, I got a brown one. Who got a brown one? I got an orange one. I don't know if it was peanut or. or chocolate, but I mean like peanut M and M's. They're peanut, tier. or they're peanut butter. Yeah, God peanut tier. butter are even. They're like ultra god tier. God tier. So I'll do like you did with the Skittles the other day. Um, <laughs> and what you could have done one of each on uh, <laughs> what 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 was it? Thirteen going on thirty. You were like, oh man, it was the stupid. Like it was M and M's right there. Should have done M and M. Yeah. <laughs> right. So uh, what color you got, Phil? I got yellow. You got yellow? All right, yellow. How was that? M&M's are so good. I haven't had it. They are. They're perfect. They're perfect. To be honest, like, it's like a horrible snack for me to eat because I would just eat a lot. And that's why I got, like, a a small pack. (laughs) Because I'm trying not to eat, like, but I haven't had M&M's in months now. And I'm like, oh, my God, they're so good. (laughs) (laughs) How many, um, how many uh, shaved head do you give it? <laughs> Five shaved heads. Five shaved heads. Five nice. shaved heads. I mean, you can't go wrong with peanut M and M. They're great. Yeah. Yeah, literally a joke in my script. <laughs> <laughs> what do you got? I got. You know, it's been a hot minute since we did. You know, this isn't really uh, doesn't pertain to the film specifically, actually. But it's been a hot minute since we've done one of these. Uh, snack times we haven't on the last couple episodes the last ones we recorded mm-hmm. and I think you've done this before but I saw it and it's not usually at my local so I had to pick it up it's snack time time for a snack <laughs> <laughs> I've never done that before actually have you not done no. it it's no. a snack dude can you I've believe I've never it? had one of those I have no idea what that even is <laughs> it's a Cadbury sandwich snack exclamation point I was so happy to find it. All right. So before you tell me what it is, yeah, I'm going to try to guess, okay? Just what, by look or by, by feel? By look of it, the shape of it, okay. and by what it says sandwich snack, I'm going to guess that it is a Waffrere uh, thing. Uh, okay, that is not what I was expecting. That looks a like waffer. a Kit Kat. I was, I was expecting a Waffrere, a Waffrere um, snack with like some sort of like uh, chocolate cream in the middle or something. Mm. But it, that looks it like is, a Kit Kat bar. It's a milk chocolate sandwich biscuit. So it's sort of like a waffer <laughs> inside. Sorry, I'm okay. just thinking of the Monty Python. Cheese yeah. <laughs> waffer, Dean. I'm going to go for it. That sounds like it's good by the crunch alone. <laughs> very, very good. I'm pl- very surprised. It tastes like a Kit Kat. Nice. It tastes like a Kit Kat with like another layer of chocolate like in the middle. Mm-hmm. Nice. Very, very good. 
I'm I'm happy I got that. That is indeed a snack. <laughs> Not bad. How I'm many, so happy I found this. How many uh, shockingly older ladies than you were ex- expecting in your uh, autograph line? Uh, will you give it? How many elderly opera singers do I do I give it? <laughs> yeah. Say no um, more, money more. Oh my god, that was so uncomfortable. That was like you know when people come up to Tommy and they're like, "You're tearing me apart," and he goes like, "Ha ha ha." Yeah, <laughs> you want me to sign customer. anything? <laughs> Do you buy anything? Yeah. How many? I mean, I feel like it's a snack for snack time, and it has to be. Got to be a five. It's got to be a five ten. Fives all around. Perfect ten. <laughs> well. Let's move on. Speaking of shaved heads, you gave me um, <laughs> Robin Tooney is Deborah. Great, absolutely so great. A, a character that could uh, have aged quite badly, I think, um, or could have been mishandled, perhaps. Yeah, but I think actually becomes um, one of the more um, standout, more memorable characters. Yeah, and one that will get better. You know, I probably wasn't as depressed when I first watched this as I am now. Yeah. So now I appreciate that character and her realizing that everybody is depressed and everybody realizing that she needs help. It's just, it's, it's actually quite a, little, a wonderful little arc that's mm-hmm. happening in the movie. I really love the scene she had with Joe mm-hmm. when she's, you know, going over the account or something yeah. and he just stops and he tries to help her and she throws it in his face and then he's just like, you're, you're doing a great he, job, you know, and walked away. And <laughs> yeah. it's, it's so well, really, the funeral's a bit much, but everything else is nice. But the funeral's fun, though. It's like the it wacky '90s sort of vibe that I love about it. But like, I feel like this film—it's weird. Like, I would—I wouldn't say. I think Robin Tooney does an amazing job, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wouldn't say that it's like best performance ever, sort of thing. But the the essentialness of this role. <laughs> And her performance is like it's it's, in, it's so integral to the film. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's like it's like if you take that out, it's just like a completely different movie. You know? No, I, mean, I feel no like it, weight like, to it. Yeah, I feel like that really like it, in a nutshell, like angsty teen movies. Like you know, it's like it makes it so quintessential. <laughs> you know, yeah, this film because sure. of that character and that yeah. role and that performance. It's just like it's great. It's so. Like the whole thing, going in, just the song that's playing as well. She goes in and shaves her head and it's just like, fucking, ah, it's like a great scene. It's like, because you could feel that, like that fucking song Free by the Martinis is playing. And it's just like so sick. Okay. Just Maybe like, I want to yeah. shave my head. <laughs> yeah. It will happen. It will happen yeah. eventually. It's funny though, because like Julia was like, oh no, her, like, her, well, I think her comment was, I'm trying to think, I feel like Julia had seen the film before, but she was just like, or... I can't remember. Maybe she hadn't, but it was one of those things like she wasn't sure. And when Robin Tooney goes into the bathroom, she's just like, oh, her hair is really cool. <laughs> and I was just like, <laughs> and you're like oh, I was like, yeah, because she has that sweet sort of like, fringy bob, bob thing going on. Yeah. And then she just fucking shaves it off. And I was just like, <laughs> yeah, that, I was that like, line she had, scene. she was like, you know, that line she had, you know, because the, 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 her lead in and that, you know, the night before she. You know, she covered the rap, you know, she, the insinuation of that. She tried yeah, to take her own life. Yeah. To, yeah. And the line of, like, it's morbid as fuck, but, like, you need to talk about these things. That line she said, where she's like, you know, I just thought I would rather 
not be alive than do another Rex Manning thing. <laughs> yeah. Like that is just too near the bone. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, you know yeah, what I yeah. mean? Where you're like, genuinely, the, the, the options feel balanced. Yeah. They feel the same. Like, this is where I'm at. Um, and she, yeah, that's why she's such an integral character because of stuff like that. And like I, like I said, they handle it well. There's that great bit with people, I think AJ is like really on her about, like, tell me what happened, tell me what yeah, happened. Yeah. This isn't funny. And Luca just sort of comes up and he's like, she's here? She's okay. Yeah, nothing's going to happen. I think that's a, that's a really important, like, we got it. Yeah, yeah. Like, fine. I thought that was, that was really she ends up being a really cool connective tissue and also quite reminiscent of like I mean this movie is Breakfast Club in a record store yeah. and she's very <laughs> much like the um, Ali Sheedy yeah, yeah. there and I appreciate that yeah really except like they don't reference. give her a horrible makeover or anything no she gives so it to herself she gives it to herself and it's like yeah. it's self-inflicted and no one tries to like put a wig on her or something you know or give her any makeup or anything it's yeah, just like it's God. great yeah but it's funny because she actually shaved her head for the role like she shaves her fucking head that's legit it's yeah. so legit Legit. iconic scene i think that scene's just amazing but uh it ended up fucking some things up because her next film was the craft i've told oh. this on the podcast before when we did the craft uh but yeah the uh <laughs> filmmakers are pretty pissed off because she shows up for the craft which she had already booked and she was casting a lead role for with the fucking shaved head so then she had to wear a fucking wig for the craft <laughs> And that's and why she has this weird-ass wig in, in the craft. I mean, it only works for that one scene where she, like, changes her hair blonde. But then, like, yeah. she changes the background. And it's just, like, obviously, like, it's odd-looking. It's not, like, it's not a bad wig, but it's a weird, it's weird. It's one of those things they've never gotten right in movies. Yeah. It's just wig and fake beard. They're just, we're not there yet. We can, you know, CG whole other planet <laughs> but we can't figure out what hair looks like yeah you know it's like every even time in cgi new... they can't figure yeah. it out <laughs> yeah but you know what i mean like every time you know like you probably you probably will relate remember back in the day and every year you get a new wrestling game and the way you could tell how good it looked with the hair yeah first thing you do you pop in that new smackdown you go to the triple h entrance and you see how what the hair is doing, what the water physics are doing. Yeah. And that was the marker of technology. Yeah, yeah. Back in the day. Because early on, it was just like a big block that just yeah. like moved with the rest of his body. Just and like then the, it became like strands. Yeah. Yeah, like weird strands. Separated. <laughs> and then it became whatever floating. The, whatever the fuck Avatar is, like, Ugh. fuck off with that hair. It's so <laughs> realistic, it becomes fake again. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like oh we made cgi to make a whole new world it's like yeah well it just looked like a cgi world what would you want from me <laughs> why don't you just make an animated movie then i don't i don't get it avatar 2 coming soon <laughs> god damn it we're definitely gonna have to talk about it oh yeah and then we'll have to talk about number one oh. uh, uh. <laughs> uh, all right so yeah the one weird thing with robin tooney <laughs> or deb <laughs> is something happened. She obviously, like, she says, like, the thing about, you know... Um, the pretty pink razor. The pretty pink razor. Yeah, she says she says something about, like, uh, the, you know, obviously the working here and doing the, another fucking Rex Manning day. Obviously, that was That's a joke. breakup, clearly. But, yeah, there's, like, a breakup with Coyote Shivers, who plays Burko, and his mm. character 
It's just, it's yeah. just like if I feel like there's that would, that feels like something's been cut there's, out. Yeah, that's the thing. There's quite a few things, and I'll get to it a little bit more like on one of the final characters I do um, as we wrap up. But like there, yeah, there's like things in, about this film where it just feels like there's just not a complete story. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one of the negative things about it. I feel like, cause there's like things happen that don't really make sense with certain characters or like, you know, they just rush through things or there's sure, un- like, sure. you know, um, answers like, you know, things that aren't answered and stuff. And I feel like, yeah, a little bit with this Burko character. Cause he's like, he who seems is, cool, but who is he? Like he see, he Jerry shows up. Ramon looking <laughs> motherfucker. He shows up like sugar high rips, dude. That song's oh, sick as fuck. Don't even get fucking me good. Yeah. But like, who is he? Like, what did he do? Like, does he work at the Empire Records? I don't know. He seems like he does. He probably does, but who knows? <laughs> I don't know. He's there just yeah. to play the gig. They wanted Billy Joe Armstrong to play. That That's role. funny. That would have worked around yeah. that time. But totally. um, he couldn't because of touring with Green Day. Of course, yeah. But Coyote Shivers was like a musician actor, so it kind of worked out. He was 30 at the time of filming, so he lied about his age because he looked young enough to kind of yeah. get away with 20-ish. And uh, yeah, he got cast. No one knew that he was 30 or late 20s. You know, It could have been mm-hmm. like maybe 29. No one knew until uh, there's a couple of things. All right, so one, he uh, was able to get drivers like driving insurance at a very, ch- a very cheap rate. Because if you're over 26 in America, your rates go way down, especially for men. Uh, <laughs> and like that, that was something they were like, wow, he's got really cheap insurance. <laughs> and then, and then um, they started to figure out that he was slightly related to someone in the cast. So he was married to B.B. Buell at the time, which made him Liv Tyler's stepfather. <laughs> No. Really? (laughs) Yeah. So, B.B. Buell was a famous rock star girlfriend, having dated the likes of Mick Jagger, Iggy Pop, David Bowie, Elvis Costello, Jimmy Page, and Todd Rungeon, who was with Buell at the time that Liv Tyler was born, but they split up like right around the time that she was born. And when Liv Tyler was born, her mother said that Todd Rungeon was her father. And he signed the birth certificate and he helped raise her as his own. And then years later, when Liv was about 10 or 11, she met Steven Tyler um, and noticed that there was a strong resemblance between his daughter, Mia, and herself. Mm. And she asked her mother, B.B. Buell, about it. And B.B. Buell admitted that, yes, she was with Steven Tyler, you know, at a time and that he was her actual father. But she's like since had <laughs> been with a slightly younger at the time, Coyote Shivers, and they oh were married for a number of years throughout the nineties. So crazy, he was dude. her stepfather. <laughs> so weird! What a so weird, weird vibe on that. Yeah, like oh, are you okay to do this? Should I ask your dad? <laughs> your dad is like only a few years older than you. <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking so Pete weird. Davidson looking motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> Keep. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh my god. So bizarre. That's so, so fucking bizarre. strange. 
But you Sugar really High in the rips. movie for me. Oh no, Sugar <laughs> High is a fucking banger, dude. No question. So good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Then of course there's James Kimo Willis as Eddie. Uh, like, dude, this is the pizza guy. Like, does he work pizza. at Empire Records? I think he does, but he also happens to work at the pizza place. But it's just bizarre. I, again, I love it. It just it felt like you know. Like today, I wasn't working, but I came in and yeah. I just walked in and I was like hanging out and then I left. You know what I mean? Me too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Literally me too. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like um, it's it, it's funny. Like he he's like a really weird character because, I mean, it's just kind of a doesn't matter character. I feel like it's almost like someone they wanted to cut out as well, but they couldn't figure out how to do it because he just happened to be hanging around in a couple of important scenes. Because <laughs> he feels so like... Like, uh, you can cut this fucker out. Who cares? Yeah. Oh, man. But he's there to give them edible. I think that's very important. Yeah. Yeah. True. Um, and then there's Ben Bode as Mitchell Beck. So the, the, I guess the owner of the place. Oh, the fucking suit? Yeah, the, the suit. It. <laughs> it's like a bad guy from Wayne's World, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the main thing that he gets to, you know, he owns the fucking record store and then he gets to it at the end and he can't open the cash register. Yeah, that's so fucking... That says a lot. That says a lot. That that's yeah. so. Uh, it's happened to me in many jobs where the big mm. the big boss doesn't know what they're doing. Like I, I, when I used to work in groceries, uh, I would always get told like like about bullshit from these like fucking big corporate guys who would come into the store and bug me all the time. But then like mm-hmm. you know I'm just like dude, there's like lines going down the dial <laughs> like. Are you gonna are you gonna jump on you gonna jump on with me because like I need to clear these lines because you keep talking to me and I can't do my job. <laughs> you gotta stop talking. They're to like, no, nah, I don't know how to run a register. And it's like, then why are you telling me how to do my job? <laughs> you know, like yeah. fuck off. Get out of my face. Uh, oh man, Debbie Mazers, Jane. Ah, uh, always enjoy seeing Debbie Mazer as well. Good fellas, you know. good fellas. Beethoven, uh, Beethoven. Yeah, was she? She was in like Home Alone three or four or something. <laughs> I can't tell you. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, she's great. But yeah, also she's a character that I was going to bring up where it feels like there's got to be more scenes with her. And Cause Joe. she just suddenly hooked up with Joe. At yeah. The it's so bizarre. Like out of nowhere there, there had to been more scenes with her and Rex as well. Cause it just goes from like, she's Rex's assistant it's and the she's bare minimum. defending him. It's the bare minimum. To just like quitting yeah. and piecing out. And then, Joe got really angry about it, and it's really bizarre. Like, why is he so angry? He doesn't fucking know this lady. Yeah, who is Jane? And then she's just like, come on. You want to grab a coffee? Tee-hee. You want to grab a coffee? Huh? Go get some dinner? It's like, what? Where did that come from? Yeah, she did it just like that as well. Yeah, they give you just like one scene where Rex is being a dick, and then like one scene where like they make fun of Rex in front of her, and then there's like one scene where she had like a meet-cute with Joe. And then like, but they all needed a bit more development yeah. for that whole yeah, thing yeah, to yeah. work at the end. It just needed, it's like, it felt like you didn't know what to do with those two characters because you cut all this <laughs> stuff out. Now it looks like it was an afterthought, even though it probably was yeah, yeah. laid out. It's just before. bizarre. Um, well, obviously she works for Maxwell Caulfield as Rex The legend. Man. The reason just, why we're here. <laughs> Rex Manning. Oh, Rex. <laughs> just, what a legend. Just... Just what a character, what a performance! Like, yeah. I'm a, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of Grease too. Yeah, Grease too is great. great, which is also shown soon at the cinema. I don't know if it would have been shown by the time this is out. I can't remember. Yeah, I think uh, it's sometime in April. Yeah. I mean, it's great. So much better than the first one. Yeah, God, it's so funny. It's so weird. 
um, and he was great. Again, like AJ in this movie, was clearly meant to be like a teen yeah, opera. Yeah, yeah. And just never got there. Um, and then popped in in a few things since. And he's a really good actor, which like obviously like a good. You know, he can make fun of himself, and he doesn't mind playing like a really gross. Yeah. In this movie. <laughs> so horrible. <laughs> Yeah, oh my God. this literally—I mean, because you were bringing up like that lunch theme, yeah, like, just so well done, like yeah, with the bib and everything. Yeah, you were right. you, you were bringing up um, like the room and stuff, and it reminded me—it's very, me, it's very much like the room and stuff. The room is crazy here, really. These people oh, don't know how easy Rex Manning Day really is. Um, it's not, not as fun as you think. Yeah. Which made me like laugh so hard at this because it's just like Rex Manning Day was just like Jesus Christ. This is- I loved it. But then well, I loved the older stuff get into it. It's like a thought of you know this it, it, it bonds them. Yeah, this horrible thing that they have to go through. Yeah, again another thing like the cinema man. It's just like it's crazy. Uh, but yeah, I mean like Rex Manning Day is just like funny in itself. I mean there's like so there's a flyer on the door. Why did he get a day? <laughs> <laughs> Dude. <laughs> I mean, obviously, he's like a famous singer or something, but it totally sure. passes. his But he's like a one-hit wonder, yeah. but like an old album. It makes sense, though, because... If he's like a local celebrity? I mean, I don't know if he's a local celebrity, but I get the vibe that they're like an independent place and like he's like the biggest celebrity they could get. You know, Fair It's sort of yeah. like us and Tommy. <laughs> like, you know, it's like good he's point. a big Very celebrity for us, but he's not really a big celebrity, but it's like a <laughs> cult sort of icon you know of course. yeah i mean like there's a flyer on the door that announces like rex rex's in-store appearance and it's like it says april 8th so that's why uh rex manning day is a thing um there's screenwriter carol heikinen heineken um <laughs> said that it was a tribute to kurt cobain whose body was found on April 8th, 1994. So he died that like a few days before, dark. but that was the day it was found. So it was sure. a death to rock and roll. And then you give like the worst fucking like rock star like ever, like is the guy who comes on Rex Manning Day. <laughs> this piece That's of shit. Nice touch. Yeah. Nice touch. Yeah. Um, yeah. Costume designer Susan Lyle uh, based Rex Manning's look on Tom Jones they're, meets they're Rod too short. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, she found his purple sh- satin shirt at New York's Trash in Vaudeville, which was like a famous, well, I guess it still is a famous rock glam and punk clothing shop. So yeah, pretty cool. I mean, we did a Rex Manning Day, like obviously we it's a cinema. We've done Rex Manning Day, like, and it's coming up on April eighth, just a couple of days after this episode. We've done it, like you know, for quite a few years now at the cinema, and uh, for a while, like I think it's just because of like you know it's people are busy and stuff but like ralph used to come and host it sometimes and he Mm. would play uh lucas and he'd like you know have his like little like uh polo turtleneck black turtleneck on and then carrying a cushion around yeah carrying a cushion around and then uh we would have this guy named james who used to do a lot of hosting at the cinema um, come and be rex manning and he looked just like him it was crazy like he just looks so much like him he used to host um, the Labyrinth a lot because he looked a lot like Bowie with the like fucking wig and everything on. He just did yeah, it really yeah, well. Yeah. So yeah, James was cool. Uh, I haven't seen him in years, but he's a cool dude. So yeah, that was always really fun. So now it's like when we do Rex Manning Day, it's usually just showing the film. But for a while, it was kind of a big event. It was kind of fun. I'll play Rex Manning. <laughs> Don't look anything like him. Yeah. I could do it. Except for the uh, gig. 
Uh, well, Rex Manning, of course, it's a big thing. So let's get into let's get into the music film. Yeah, it's the whole reason. Come on, say no more, money more. Yeah, I mean, like, I guess Maxwell Caulfield actually sang that. It was written specifically for the film. There was a of music course. video made, obviously, because it's getting shown a lot. Um, and that was shot prior to principal photography on Riceville Beach in North Carolina. And one day, it was intended to be only a 17-second dance move piece that the main actors of the film would make fun of, which they do. But, they do the whole routine. Yeah. Uh, Jordan Dawes, the director of the music video, shot for an entire day, and he gave the producers a complete four-minute and 30-second music video. So. You should do the whole thing. I would have just done the whole thing, yeah. too. Yeah. So it's really cool. More to pull from. Uh, the soundtrack was originally supposed to be released on Atlantic Records due to its attachment to Warner Brothers, but it was given to A&M Records in order to attain participation from the Gin Blossoms. Because they had their song Till I Hear It From You, which was a huge hit. It was the lead single on the soundtrack, and it peaked at number five on mm. Billboard charts. And the Jim Blossoms, it was the Jim Blossoms' first song to enter at the top 20. Mm. A fun song. Well, another one you Good mentioned, one. A, Girl, a Girl Like You by Edwin Collins. Fucking sick guitar riff. Dude. Yeah. Another big hit. It peaked mm. at uh, number seven on Billboard's Modern Rock Tracks. You have songs like Liar by the Cranberries. But they don't have the be- uh, Cranberry song on, yeah. on that in the movie, How. Yeah, How. You know, there's a, there's a lot, I mean, all these songs are great. Had to yeah, How's in the, in the film, but in it's the not film. on the soundtrack. Yeah. There's loads of songs in the film yeah. that aren't on this album. <laughs> they're some of the best ones. Yeah. Uh, Free is one of my favorite songs from the soundtrack <sighs> by the Martinis. So yeah. good. Uh, yeah. You get Crazy Life by Toad the Wet Sprocket. <laughs> um, which is the dumbest band name ever. Yeah, you uh, get a, a pretty decent cover of the Ballad of El Gudo. Oh, yeah, yeah, Originally yeah, yeah. a big star song, but this version pretty good yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Circle of Friends by Better Than Ezra. Mm. Uh, Ready, Steady, Go by The Mises. And of course, you get Sugar High by oh Coyote Shivers. Annoyingly, though, the version that's on the soundtrack not the, is not the version from the, one from the, the film. film. I put on the soundtrack right after yeah. and I noticed that and I was annoyed. Yeah, it's really annoying because apparently the record company didn't want it on the soundtrack, even though it's a fucking awesome song. And then the music supervisor thought the song was too loud. And then the song's producer declined to remaster it. So the supervisor picked the Multiple people didn't like it, <laughs> yeah. even though it slapped. And then the, the supervisor picked the rough mix that was meant for the playback while they're filming. So it just basically features only Coyote Shivers playing guitar and singing mm. but it's missing the renee zellweger backups so yeah you don't have her on it at all which is great like she's like got a cool voice she reminds me of like eg daily who does the voice of tommy pickles um in the rugrats yeah, I, I but know she was mean, a yeah. singer and she sings in like films like better off dead mm. i feel like she might have some songs on like in uh, peewee's big adventure maybe but mm. like she's an actress singer She's got a good voice, and it's this very sort of raspy voice that Renee Zellweger like hits perfectly. It sounds so cool. Yeah, um, like I love that song. This, I forgot how sick that song is. Like, I usually hate like punk, like pop punk singers that sound like that. But like, called Saturday Night Live. Yeah, but like Coyote Shivers. I don't know what it is. I think it's cool, man. It's really cool sounding. Apparently, he's a dickhead. <laughs> so that kind of sucks. Not a surprise. Yeah. But uh, yeah. 
Hey, no. that's Liv Tyler's Fair stepdad. Show some respect. Hey, show some respect. That was her stepdad in the nineties. In the nineties. <laughs> I mean, there's one that one of my favorite songs. Again, it's not on the soundtrack, and it's so frustrating because it's, it's the perfect song to end the movie. But yeah. this is the day by the the. Yeah, 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 yeah. My God, that's such a cool song. <laughs> like, like it's just why wouldn't you put that? I guess you can't put it all on and like. But, oh, my, that just really sums up the movie, yeah. especially if you stop and think, to, like, listen to the lyrics. It's so good. Yeah. So good. There's a few other cool songs as well that feature that aren't, like, on the soundtrack. Uh, there's, like, Saddam Gogo by Guar in the car scene. <laughs> of um, Romeo and Juliet by Dire Straits. Oh, yeah, I forgot that fucking hit. And yeah, then there's a good song. There's a rock and roll slash EGA by Daniel Johnson that's playing, and I was like, damn, Daniel Johnson's in this. Uh, and then there's two songs that are very like kind of like big that are just they like when I hear them I think of this film instantly it's uh, Video Killed the Radio uh, Killed the Radio oh, yeah. Star by the Bangles of course and then, and then the funniest one is Money That's What I Want uh, so Lucas dun, wants dun, 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 money money that's Joe's what money <laughs> <laughs> where's so. the money Atlantic City <laughs> recirculating <laughs> it could be another place that I don't know <laughs> 16 out of 50 of the songs used in this movie cracked the top 100 in Billboard. Oh, bang it, dude. They, they, I, I was trying to download the soundtrack afterwards, and it's like, <laughs> obviously, there's like fan made versions, yeah. and then they have the whole thing. So good. And then the soundtrack itself peaked at number 63, and yeah, it performs better than the film itself. <laughs> yeah, it's one of my favorite movies. Now. Yeah, I mean, come on, man. It's up there with Batman Forever, 90, Big 95, Jam, man. And Dumb, 95, Dumb and Dumber. 96, dude. What the yeah. fuck? Like, it's what the, it's a year. The peak. What a couple years for like just awesome soundtracks. Empire Records was filmed in Wilmington, North Carolina with exteriors at 15 South Front Street. It was a bar that had like a few feet of space converted into a replica store set. So basically actors could like walk in, walk a few feet, and then like they'd cut away and then they'd mm. show the inside, which was all done on a studio. I think still in North Carolina. Um, the film was released in September 1995 and it was a huge flop. It made only $150,800 in its opening weekend, and by the end of its North American run, made only $303,841 against a $10 million budget. God. That's so depressing. Yeah. Why? I don't get it. Was the review bad? Like, the this reviews, like this should have hit. It got slated by the critics. Really? Yeah. It's great. Variety. It's genuinely great. Yeah, Variety called Empire Records a soundtrack in search of a movie. Describing the film as one teen music effort that never finds a groove before adding that as far as chart chart action goes, it could use a bullet to put it out of its B.O. misery. Jesus, all these, all these critics, they're probably... Having Munich isn't a fucking critic. Yeah, yeah, seriously. Yeah. <laughs> TV guy gave the film two stars out of five, uh, calling it a lame comedy that appeared to be a little more than an elaborate excuse to back itch and pedal a soundtrack CD. That's part of it. <laughs> <laughs> Roger Ebert called it a lost cause, but wrote that some of the actors might have a future in other better films, which is partly right. I mean, but I think this film's great. It's great. Like I, I, Underrated, I don't know. Like in the nineties, like. Because I never noticed 
but it wasn't like a big hit in my mind. I always thought it was cool as shit. I thought it was awesome. And I didn't realize until years later that it was considered a cult classic. <laughs> yeah, not until, again, one of the movies like I knew, my brother knew, but I, nobody else I knew yeah. had watched it until I got to the cinema. And then you realized, oh, there's like a cult fan base. Yeah, the thing yeah, yeah. yeah. Year. I, but there's even out. Yeah, like when you're a kid, you don't, you know, on cutting onto those things. So the film I liked, I didn't realize were like sort of underground movies or like <laughs> what slated or bombed at the time. Like, and I'm, I'm some of them. I'm still waiting for them to have their day. Like Dead Man on Campus. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I need, to, classic, I need to give that a rewatch. Sure. That's a classic night team comedy. I brought it up with Do the Right Thing. Mm-hmm. We should do that, and it'll be a perfect little night trilogy. <laughs> yeah. um, do the right thing. Sorry, that thing you do. Thing you do um, yeah. But yeah, but I'm glad Empire Record does have, you know, it, your time is the only test for a movie. People say that, but it's true. I mean, we still show Empire Record. Clearly, there's a love for it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a shame that it didn't um, get appreciated at the time, which I think I, I'm genuinely surprised. Yeah, it's a weird one. I don't really get it. It feels, feels like, like it was made for every teenager at that time. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's totally the epitome of like the early 90s Gen X or like teenage angst bullshit like you know it's mm-hmm. and then rock and roll and it's set in a fucking record store and it's cool and like I don't know maybe it's like young kids like me or something saw it and thought it was rad and then like 30 years later or 25 years later just like dude yeah that, you remember that film that was rad right like <laughs> yeah. but like the Gen Xers just didn't appreciate it you know fair enough man <laughs> maybe that's what it was it's just the millennials who like were too young to, you know, because that is and almost what got it is. Caught in between. It's kind of like what happens now, like where people are looking back on the like the 2000s and the mid 2000s and stuff is like this fucking cool time. But it really like I grew up, I was like a teenager through that time, and I'm just like that sucked. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, strange, dude, dude, it's, it's, it's strange that yeah. that this is like I'm, you know, I'm 20, 28, I think. Um, and I'm, this is the first time I'm like feeling old and that's the reason and the <laughs> cinema is the reason yeah. because Paul's programming shout out Paul has shifted from you know 90 stuff to 2000 yeah yeah, yeah. that's cool now that's it's been long enough people are wanting I, to come to see and I remember coming and I enjoy some of it being you know dug up and reevaluated, but some of it just like this is trash yeah, you know, this, yeah, yeah. like this is but obviously the not for the people who were younger then, but yeah. always allow, you know, always give it a pass because the things that were important to me, people probably back then see it trash. But it's, well, there's a couple of things we're going to be talking about in a couple of weeks that are going to be like total trash. Yeah. That, oh, yeah, like, can't from wait. The time. One in like literally two weeks, and then another like maybe the week after. I can't remember, or like a few weeks after. I can't remember. It's like yeah, it's coming that. up. There's a couple um, in one episode that we've got planned. But yeah. I look forward to that. Uh, Well, that's all, folks. Uh, You can enjoy a screening of Empire Records from 35mm on Rex Manning Day this Friday, the 8th of April at 9pm at the Prince Charles Cinema. Tickets are on sale at princecharlescinema.com. Next week, we turn our attention from a cult classic film to a cult icon. If all goes well at the time of this recording on the 31st of March that we're recording this, Alex Winter is set to be hitting the Prince Charles Cinema for a weekend filled with Bill and Ted, The Lost Boys, Freaked, and more. 
and I'm going to be involved during the weekend pretty heavily and I'll be trying to get a lot of clips and pieces here and there maybe I don't know including a recording of the in conversation event which I am facilitating and hosting and producing and all that bullshit (laughs) stage Um, managing stage managing at the same time Uh, and yeah I'll be there with Alex and I'm going to try if all all goes according to plan I'll try to record that and release an episode next week of that Um, and the week after Phil it's uh... oh god are we going to are we going to say it It's a hazy special film. It's a uh, 420. Yeah, I'd look a little blood, little bloodshot, man. Do we want to tell them what film we're doing, dude? I mean, I just have one question. Sweet, dude. What does mine say? <laughs> <laughs> this podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged In Coppola Connections, A Drip Town Limery Maine, Franchised, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad-free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family.